Welcome to the weekly podcast of Calvary Chapel, South London, a church where the truth of God's word meets and transforms the reality of our daily lives. We hope you are impacted by this week's teaching. Yeah, it's a privilege to be with you guys. Um, I mean, that, um, and I'm thankful that I can be here. I'm going to pray and then we're going to get going. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you um, that you are present with us, as Pastor Ephraim said, Lord. Father, we thank you that you are glorious, Lord God, that you're exalted as we sang, Lord God. Even if we don't exalt you, you are exalted, Lord. But thankfully and mercifully, you've allowed us to, to partake in your glory, Lord. Father, I pray that um, yeah, today you would speak to our hearts through your Son. Amen. <clears throat> okay, so um, I'm going to read the text. John chapter 5. I'm going to go from verse 30 to 47. So from verse 30 to the end. Verse 30, I can do nothing on my own. As I hear, I judge, and my judgment is just because I seek not my own will, but the will of him who sent me. If I alone bear witness about myself, my testimony is not deemed true. There is another who bears witness about me, and I know that the testimony that he bears about me is true. You sent John and he has borne witness to the truth. Not that the testimony that I receive is from man, but I say these things so that you may be saved. He was a burning and shining lamp, and you were willing to rejoice for a while in his light. But the testimony that I have is greater than that of John. For the works that the Father has given me to accomplish, the very works that I am doing, bear witness about me that the Father has sent me. And the Father who sent me has himself borne witness about me. His voice you have never heard, his form you have never seen, and you do not have his word abiding in you, for you do not believe the one whom he has sent. You search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life, and it is they that bear witness about me, yet you refuse to come to me that you may have life. I do not receive glory from people, but I know that you do, do not have the love of God within you. I have come in my Father's name, and you do not receive me. If another comes in his own name, you will receive him. How can you believe when you receive glory from one another, and do not seek the glory that comes from the only God? Do not think that I will accuse you to the Father. There is one who accuses you, Moses on whom you have set your hope. For if you believed Moses, you would believe me, for he wrote of me. But if you do not believe his writings, how will you believe my words? So, <clears throat> we'll look at verse 30 first, and then we'll go from verse 31 to 40, and then we'll go from 41 to the end. 
verse 30. I've called um, the model. 31 to 40, Jehovah's Witness. And 41 to the end, glory. So, I have before we um, begin something that I need to confess. Um, and it's something that um, I'm ashamed of. It's something that's wrong. Um, and yeah, it's best that I say now. Um, I want, I mean, I actively desire um, your praise, your affirmation. So I stand here and I'm about to share with you um, what God has shared with me, or at least what I believe God has shared with me. And for that, I want to be affirmed. I want to be seen as significant. I want you to say, well done. In fact, I want to to be valued. I want you guys to look at me and think, yeah, yeah, Ben Piper. Um, and that's pretty perverse. Um, and Jesus addresses um, that perversity and that, um, that desire for significance in our text today. In verse 30 it says, I can do nothing on my own. As I hear, I judge. And my judgment is just because I seek not my own will, but the will of him who sent me. Now this echoes um, something that he said earlier in verse 19. Um, and he's just talking about his dependence, his utter dependence on God, even though he's God, he speaks of his utter dependence on God the Father. Now, he says here, he speaks in absolute terms, he says, I can do nothing on my own. As I hear, I judge, and my judgment is just because I seek not my own will, but the will of him who sent me. Now, we're talking about even his judgment, his, his thoughts, his perceptions, the ability to define and differentiate between things. So we all judge, we all make judgments, um, and these are how we perceive things. So things are good or bad, right or wrong. We use our um, judgment and our perceptions to define people, events, organizations, institutions, basically the whole of life. And Jesus says that, this is, a, this is a moral issue. It's a moral issue. And he says that actually, his, his will, his affection, his desires are tied to those of God. And as such, he sees with God's viewpoint. So his perceptions, his judgments are those of God's. They're the very perceptions of God. And we would a firmness today. I'm sure those of you who sit in here today who believe in God, a firmness, you'd say, you know, um, God's view ought to be our view. So if God says that you shouldn't steal, actually that's, that's true, you shouldn't steal. If God says you shouldn't murder, actually you shouldn't murder. 
And so on the face of things, many of us, or <coughs> most of us, would say that this is good and true. But I want to challenge us today to say that actually um, we have quite a superficial way of looking at this, a superficial way of regarding this. <coughs> because as I said, Jesus is not only talking about um, a simple adherence to God's view, but he's talking about a dependence on God, as we're going to see. Now, there are many people who would hold to morals that are similar to those that you find in the Ten Commandments, which are basically um, uh, exposition of God's character. So there are many people who don't believe in Christ, who don't steal, and think it's wrong to steal, or murder, or lie, so on and so forth. But we'll go on to see why this is not good enough. We'll go on to see why these people are not justified in God's sight. 31 to 40. If I alone bear witness about myself, my testimony is not deemed true. There is one who bears witness about me, and I know the testimony that he bears about me is true. You sent to John, and he has borne witness to the truth. Not that the testimony that I receive is from man, but I say these things to you so that you may be saved. He was a burning and shining lamp, and you were willing to rejoice for a while in his light. But the testimony that I have is greater than that of John. For the works that the Father has given me to accomplish, the very works that I am doing bear witness about me, and the Father is, and, sorry, that the Father has sent me. And the Father who sent me has himself borne witness about me. His voice you have never heard, and his form you have never seen, and you do not have his word abiding in you, for you do not believe the one whom he has sent. You search the scriptures because you think that, they, that in them you have eternal life, and it is they that bear witness about me. Yet you refuse to come to me that you may have life. So we have a section there that talks about witness. And it's talking about witness to the, the fact that Jesus is sent from God. And we have in verse 40 the goal of this witness. Jesus says, you refuse to come to me that you may have life. And this is a theme in John. In fact, the whole book of John is written so that the readers or the audience would believe and come to Jesus Christ and have life. And this is a key text. And so Jesus sets out the goal. He says, I came so that you would have life and you guys don't come to me despite the abundant witness. And so we have this threefold witness. We have the witness of John. We have the witness of Jesus' works and we have the witness of the, the Father. Now, Jesus says that if he himself has borne witness about himself, it's not deemed true. And that's not to say that um, if Jesus talks about himself, it's not true. But what he's saying is that actually the, the required standard um, in Jewish law was two or more witnesses. So he says, you sent to John, 
and he has borne witness to the truth. Not that the testimony that I receive is from man, but I say that these things so that you may be saved. He was a burning and shining lamp, and you were willing to rejoice for a while in his light. Now, John was not just a holy man, but a prophet. John came to bear witness to the fact that the Messiah was coming. Now, in verse 35, it says he was a burning and shining lamp. And in 2 Peter 1.19, it uses the same imagery to talk about the prophetic word. Now, the people at the time were completely um, enamored by John. The people, the people of Israel believed that he was a prophet. And as we saw in chapter 2, the Pharisees and Sadducees, or the um, Sanhedrin, sent a delegation to, to John to ask him who he was. Are you the Christ? Are you Elijah? Who are you? They were, um, they were, they were convinced of, of, John's, of John's value, or at least they could see that the people were. So much so that it moved them to investigate. Now, it says here that John was a burning and shining lamp. And the allusion is to truth, that John was shedding light. His truth came from God. The words of God. And because this was evident, they were happy to affirm him. And they were hoped to be affirmed by John. And so they were willing to rejoice for a while in his light. And then Jesus goes on to say, But the testimony I have is greater than that of John. For the works that the Father has given me to accomplish, the very works I'm doing, bear witness about me. Now we see in chapter 3, verse 2, we see that Nicodemus comes to Jesus. And what does he say to Jesus? Yeah, he says, no one would be able to do the works that you're doing unless they were from God. So as much as Jesus rebukes him or reproaches him in saying that actually you can't see these things because you're not of God, there's, there's, a, there's something that's evident that actually these supernatural works tas- testify to the fact that Jesus is sent from God. And he says, the father who sent me has himself borne witness about me. And I think this is a, um, a bridge verse and it bridges the fact that the works that um, Jesus is doing are testimony from God, but also um, God testifies about Jesus in his word. We saw at Jesus' baptism that the voice of God came from heaven to say, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. But also, we have the scriptures. Now, we we weren't obviously around when John was around, um, and we have never seen Jesus' miracles firsthand, or at least not physically from the hands of Jesus. But like um, the Pharisees, we have the scriptures. And Jesus says to them, you search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. And it is they that bear witness about me. 
yet you refuse to come to me that you may have life. Now Jesus is um, essentially accusing them of legalism. Now, they read the scriptures, which Jesus claims are about him. They miss Jesus in the scriptures. And they use the scriptures as a manual, as a rule and regulation book, in order to um, help them to work towards or to merit life, to merit eternal life or heaven. Now, bear that in mind as we go down. I'm going to come back to that, but bear that in mind as we go into the next section. It says, I do not receive glory from people, but I know that you do. Sorry, that I know that you do not have the love of God within you. I've come in my, in my Father's name and you do not receive me. If another comes in his own name, you will receive him. How can you believe when you receive glory from one another do not seek that glory that comes from the only God. So, going back in verses um, 39 to 40, Jesus poses a problem. He says, look, there's this abundant witness culminating in the scriptures which you have and which you pay a lot of attention to. And yet, the most evident thing about the scriptures, which is that they're about me, you're unable to see. I'm here and you're unable to see. Now, in this section, Jesus starts to unravel and answer why they struggle. Before that, I want to, um, to add some context. So, um, in Isaiah, it says that um, Jesus was an ordinary guy. He was nothing much to look at. He was... The type of person who, if you saw him in a crowd, actually, he wouldn't stand out. So um, one of my lecturers put it this way. If you saw a picture of Jesus in amongst the crowds, you wouldn't notice anything different. But if you saw a video of Jesus in amongst the crowd, then you would know who he was. Um, and Jesus was um, the son of a carpenter. He was just your average guy. And the Jews had been waiting for a Messiah who would come and restore them to their former greatness. Someone in the mold of David. Someone who would um, come and um, expel the Romans. Someone who, would be, um, someone who would be physically and um, in their presentation awesome. So someone impressive. Now, Jesus, I think, was an offense. He was an offense. It would be like, um, frankly, it would be like me saying, oh, yeah, I'm going to be prime minister. Well, <laughs> maybe, okay. Okay, I'm not, I'm not going to lie. I could be prime minister. Um, I could. I mean, if someone like Sam was standing for prime minister, it would be more plausible, you know? Someone a bit, a bit honky, eh? Yeah? Uh, but, you know, so Jesus, because of his, his physical appearance or because of um, what they perceived as his lack was an offense, you know? He, 
the Messiah was going to be someone who was great and terrible. And Jesus didn't really match up to what they thought they saw in Scripture. So, in verse 41, it says, I do not receive glory from people. The implication that, that they do. But I know that you do not have the love of God within you. So you see the contrast. But I know that you do not have the love of God within you. You would expect maybe him to say, I do not receive glory from people, but I know that you receive glory from people. But instead he says that you don't have the love of God within you. And he's, he's showing a causal relationship. Jesus' Jesus's, um, praise the glory of fame, and actually I need to, to touch on glory. In um, Exodus thirty-three eighteen, Jesus says, um, rather, Moses says to God, show me your glory, please show me your glory. Now, the um, children of Israel had been as stubborn as usual, stiff-necked, and God, God was done with them. God said, look, Moses... We'll start again. Forget those people. I'll make a people from you. And Moses begs and pleads and intercedes um, for them. And God says, okay. And Moses is basically, you get a sense that he's exhausted. You know, he's finished. Um, he's fed up with the people. And he gets to the point where he says, you know, God, sh please show me your glory. And God says to him, I will make all my goodness to pass in front of you. And, and so we see, as God passes in front of Moses, uh, um, a physical manifestation in, of his glory as light, as something really beautiful, radiant. Um, but this is an outward manifestation of all God's goodness, of all God's godness. And Moses' instant reaction is to bow his head to the ground and to worship. And what, what's the result of Moses' interaction with God when he sees his glory? What's the result when Moses comes down? What do people notice about Moses? His face is shining. Yeah, it's, it's almost as if he... Before we go on, before we continue, Lord, before we move from this place, I just need to see your glory. I need to be reinvigorated. And he's reinvigorated beyond what he even knows. Comes down and his face is shining. Now, I don't know about you, but I need some of that. I need my face to shine. And Jesus basically addresses why this is an issue. Why um, our faces don't shine, I suppose. He says in 43, I come in my Father's name and you do not receive me. If another comes in his own name, you will receive him. How can you believe when you receive glory from one another and do not seek the glory that comes from the only God? Now, I know I'm in the midst of a congregation of believers, but what I want to say is that um, when the man says in Matthew's gospel, Lord, I believe, but I help my unbelief, 
I want to say that that's true of all of us. There are times when we struggle, when we doubt. There's times when, um, as Kian prayed this morning, God feels remote, he feels distant. You know, and these times are real. You know, it's very easy um, for us to come and go through the motions. You know, we often do. And it's good to to be disciplined. It's good to to um, follow routine. But at the same time, it's better to love God. So Jesus says to them, look, you you do not seek the glory that comes from the only God, but you seek glory that comes from one another. And it's kind of like these guys, they want praise. They want fame. They want to be adored, you know. Jesus says of them, you, you like long greetings in a marketplace, you know. You blow a trumpet before you give to the offering. Yeah, they want to, to show that they merit salvation. Now, nowadays we have um, a glory culture, you know. We have a culture where people will say, yeah, you know, I just want to be famous. You know, I'll do anything to be famous, you know. And we have examples of that. Um, Kim Kardashian um, is a notable one. Um, but these guys are talking about fame and glory for merit's sake. Actually, I merit this. I've, as we were saying before, they look in the scriptures to find out what they ought to do, and then they do it with all their might. You know, I, I deserve this fame. I'm worthy of it. I merit it. And then we have people like that today. Kanye West is a notable one. I want to say that they 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 believed that they merited salvation, and they believed that they ought to be gloried, that they ought to be famous for it, and though. Um, None of us would openly say that. I, w- I want to say that um, on the level of the scriptures and beyond, we often behave as if it's true. So I don't want to caricature um, this position, so just try and bear with me. But sometimes when we feel withdrawn from God, we feel condemned. We feel as though, you know, God can't reach into my situation, I've sinned or I've done something, or I act in a way that is um, beyond his grace, beyond his love. Um, And I want to say that this is similar to what these guys are doing here. We don't believe what God is saying about himself or what his son has done. We don't merit, or rather, sorry, we, we... we're focused on what we don't merit. Which is another way of saying that we ought to be able to merit our own salvation. So, foremostly, or firstly rather, I want to speak to those of you who may be in that place where you feel as though God is done with you or God is angry with you. I want to say that when God sees you, God sees his son. Who is his son in this text? 
Jesus, Jesus' is, is life in this text. When, when God looks at you, he sees, a, he sees life. You're alive in his eyes. You're not condemned. You're not dead. I want to encourage you to believe what God says about you. But further, this, this desire for glory, for significance, it permeates every area of our lives. And so we define and identify ourselves and seek life in the things that we want to be recognized for. So if I'm recognized for giving a good sermon, then I, I, feel, I feel buoyed by it. You know, I define myself by, oh, you know, I'm a preacher. Or um, it may be that I can play football well. Or it may be that I have a beautiful voice. It may be that I play guitar particularly well. Or, on the flip side, it may be the things that I don't do particularly well that I allow to define myself. I struggle in education. You know, I'm not very manly. You know, these, these are the things that we allow to define ourselves and we allow to, um, to obscure our relationship with God, to obscure the way God has um, seen us. It may be because um, we struggle with ourselves and therefore our attention is on ourselves and we don't give glory to God, or it may be because we love ourselves and we love the attention that other people give us. Jesus says, we do not seek, or they did not seek, the glory that comes from the only God. And I believe that we often don't seek the glory that comes from the only God. He says, do not think I will accuse you to the Father. There is one who accuses you, Moses, on whom you have set your hope. For if you believed Moses, you will believe me. For he wrote of me. But if you do not believe his writings, how will you believe my words? We believe, but help our unbelief. Now, so what am I saying to you today? What am, what am I saying that can be of help? Well, I'm not asking you to go away and read the scriptures and do more stuff. I'm not saying, well, okay, God says, actually, this is the way you ought to be. You ought to be seeking his glory. Go and read the scriptures and seek his glory. Because in some sense, then I would be like the Pharisees here, trying to prescribe a way for you to um, come to God. But what I am saying is that as we look at our salvation, and we look at ourselves, the way that God sees us, the way that God sees our salvation, then actually we will begin to love God, that actually we will begin to see his glory. So, Jesus, so Jesus says that we ought to come to him for life. And as I've said, and I think it, it's worth saying again, that Jesus' life is... Is, is all-consuming. 
It's not, it's not limited. It's not limited by our actions. It's not limited by our limits or our flaws. But if, if Jesus has saved you, then you are saved. And secondly, if we are proportionate in the things we do, so the gifts and talents we have, um, the way we look at life, um, and the way, the way we read the word. So our, um, our beliefs about ourselves, our beliefs about our talents, and the desire to, to uh, sorry, the desire to, to be praised, to be valued, these are all things that will, um, will, sorry, will change our perspective of our relationship with God. So, some correctives. Um, foremostly prayer, um, which is obvious. But like Moses, I think there needs to be a time when we get to a place where we don't do anything more but call out to God. Lord, show me your glory. Now, God's glory was seen um, primarily in the cross. That's where his goodness, all his goodness was seen. And sometimes we struggle to see that. So we need to pray. But also we need to be in community. We need to be um, accountable to others. We need to be able to say, actually, you have license to tell me when my, perspe my perspective on something is disproportionate. When I love something too much. When I'm too hard on myself. When I'm seeking approval in the wrong places. Also, <clears throat> we need to be very careful about how we read our word. Are you reading your word and are you getting from it what God is saying? essentially, is, is what you come away with an accurate um, rendering of what God is saying to you, what he says across his whole word in salvation history? Do you come away feeling beat up? We need to work, work together in community in order to, to understand what God is saying to us as a body, but also as individuals. Okay. I'm going to pray. And then I guess the praise team will come back and lead us in worship. God. Heavenly Father, Lord God, I, I thank you for, for Jesus, Lord I thank you that he came to give us life, Lord God. I pray that we, we wouldn't be a barrier, Lord God. We, I pray that seeking glory for ourselves wouldn't be a barrier 
to knowing you and to knowing your glory and to living for you. Lord God, touch us, Lord God, where we are. Lord God, touch the weary, touch the withdrawn. Lord, I pray that you would draw us to you, that we might love you. In Jesus' name, amen.
out more about us visit our website at calvarychapelsouthlondon.org or find us on facebook and twitter at cc south london join us next time for more of god's truth to transform your reality